Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity recorded in the pod at White City Place. I'm Ellie Stuhler. These days, we expect brands to reflect a set of values, not simply provide products. No businesses do this better than those whose entire mission is to change the world for the better, even if it's just in a small way. These are social enterprises. They combine commerce with social progress. They often work with vulnerable groups, offering work and a sense of inclusion that might not have been available to them. But in all cases, they reinvest or donate their profits to create positive social change. As we head into Christmas, we can think of no better sector to celebrate than social enterprises. In the pod today, one man whose job it is to promote social enterprises across the UK, and another, the CEO of a trust that operates social enterprises of their own. My name is Steve Coles. I'm the chief executive of the Spitalfields Crypt Trust, which is known as SCT for short, and uh, is a charity that works with people with addictions and complex needs and runs a couple of social enterprises, Restoration Station, Paper and Cup. Uh, I'm Peter Holbrook, and I'm chief executive of Social Enterprise UK, which is the, the national body representing, promoting, campaigning for more social forms of commerce, trade uh, and economics. Peter Holbrook is CEO of Social Enterprise UK, the country's biggest network of social enterprises. Previously, he was chief executive of Sunlight Development Trust. During his time there, Peter was one of the country's most well-respected social entrepreneurs, responsible for the regeneration of some of the UK's most deprived communities. In 2007, Peter was appointed one of the UK's social enterprise ambassadors. Steve Coles is the CEO of the Spitalfields Crypt Trust, an organization focused on homelessness and recovery from addiction. SCTU runs two social enterprises in London, Paper and Cup, a small cafe, and Restoration Station, a vintage furniture shop. Before joining SCT, Steve founded and ran Intentionality CIC, a social impact measurement consultancy that worked with 600 charities and social enterprises. Peter, uh, I was thinking it'd be a good place to start with. Just give us a sense of, you know, what's the shape of social enterprise? What, what, you know, what defines a social enterprise? What does one look like if we were to encounter one? Uh, it's a bit like the universe, Steve. It's constantly expanding um, uh, and constantly changing shape. Um, I mean, the, the, the state of the sector currently is, is, I think, quite an interesting place. Um, within the UK context, I think we've probably never had such a difficult time in terms of delivery of public services, public infrastructure, um, the, the sorts of things that are really, really important in people's lives. Um, but then, conversely, we've got this whole new wave of energetic entrepreneurs that are saying, no more business as usual, we need to shake things up and we need to take a radical approach to how business is done. And so we're seeing this wave of new startups, innovators, disruptors, um, that are, are motivated by, um, I suppose, the very urgent need to, to kind of build a new economy. And I think that's what's really, really exciting. So there's this whole new wave of, of scalable businesses just about in every industry um, that are trying to do things radically different in terms of sharing prosperity, uh, mainstreaming environmentalism in all of its different ways and means, um, and coming up with a different relationship with stakeholders, staff, suppliers, producers. And I think that's very, very exciting. Sounds great. So, something that came to mind 
Peter, as you were chatting, which, which you know, might be worth us having a little chat about, is the extent to which I suppose social enterprises might be defined very broadly as, as choosing to sort of be different, choosing to be those innovators or, or disruptors. The thing that came to mind, to grow on a bit of my own background in social enterprises, is the word intentionality. I ran a social enterprise with that name for a while, but that I, I called it that because a, a chap whose name I won't pronounce correctly, I'm sure, called Mikhaili Csikszentmihalyi, he wrote a book called Flow, that's considerably easier to remember and, and to spell, talked about intentionality as being a property of uh, poets and sages, sort of wise people, maybe the innovators that you described, but also criminals and madmen, as I suppose a sort of slightly tongue-in-cheek you know, mention of, of disruptors. So for me without wishing to get into a very rigid definition of social enterprise, they seem to have intentionality. They seem to have some sense of choosing to be different in some way. Does that resonate with you? Do you agree, disagree? Um, broadly, I agree. Um, I think increasingly we're seeing kind of bold, pioneering communities or entrepreneurs determining um, to do things differently with, with great intention, uh, seeking to disrupt to show that the world can be organised in a different way, that economics can be done differently. Um, but then there are also those people that get kind of just sucked into the momentum that social enterprise has created. And if you look at what's happened in the charity sector over the last, say, 10, 12 years, um, you know, with the onslaught of austerity, the massive reduction in funding within local government, you know, many people have been kind of forced uh, as a mechanism of survival to explore routes of trading. So traditionally within the creative industries, the artistic communities and within charities, um, there's been um, a traditional flow of grant money, philanthropy flowing to support those endeavours on the basis that they are good for society. Um, a lot of that money has disappeared. And now, you know, artists, community activists, organisers um, um, and, and people working in charities have had to find a way to make their endeavours more sustainable. And ultimately, that's come through trading. So there is a great deal of intentionality out there. Um, but there's also a, a great deal of people that are finding social enterprise as a, as a means of survival, too. Sure, sure. No, that makes sense. I mean, let me... Let's just share a bit about the, the the place that Restoration Station, particularly one of our social enterprises, sits as a you know as a reflection back on on that I suppose. So SCT is a is a charity. We earn lots of our income through trade. That's through charity shops, through housing benefit uh, income, uh, and through our social enterprises. And that stuff helps sustain what we do it allows us to be independent in many ways of the state so that in short we can provide really long term and whole person care to people with complex needs and those two things are uh, I've oversimplified a bit but actually I think they're very profound long term and and whole person uh, sort of support the role that the social enterprises play in particular is uh it is a trading environment in which we earn some money, which covers or at least con contributes significantly contributes to the cost of that support, but actually is about creating the, the social impact. It's about furthering the, the mission, I suppose. So it's about creating real-world training, development, work experience opportunities for a small number. It's about creating actual employment. Others will develop in their, their skills and in their confidence and head off elsewhere. That's a really positive outcome. Um, and there's a role, which I suppose, of, of creativity, of uh, something that's really hands-on, which, which strikes me as really important as well, actually creating stuff uh, that expresses oneself, something of that whole-person approach. Uh, 
And really importantly, selling stuff really boosts confidence from people that have taken a knock at some point. What are your thoughts on that? And where else have you seen that at play? Well, when I first started my first social enterprise, I, I did so really because I was absolutely exhausted and frustrated with the world of, of, of grant funding and applications to anonymous bodies who would say yay or nay to, to my idea to, to working with people with poverty. And that, that's a really, really difficult um, environment in which to do anything with any degree of sustainability. So I came to social enterprise quite pragmatically thinking it's going to be easier to earn money than raise money. What I realised within, I don't know, weeks, months, I can't remember, it's so long ago, was the inherent dignity that social enterprise creates for people living in poverty um, in a way that traditional forms of charity and, and people with doing to people without um, doesn't. Um, and so there was something much, much more, uh, not just dignified, but something that was just so much more valuable in terms of confidence, self-esteem, um, hope, <laughs> ambition, um, belief in oneself. All of those things came through social enterprise. And that's what I recognised. And that's why I kind of ran at social enterprise. It wasn't just because I needed to earn money in a, in a climate of declining grants. It was because I, I recognised it was a much more powerful and economic tool to deliver social justice than simply uh, forms of, of more traditional charity and, and philanthropy. So I completely agree with you and I think that some people come at social enterprise because they see it as a necessary route for survival but once you've kind of explored it and you've seen just how creative an approach you can take through it then I think you know you get bitten right and, and most yeah. people that have migrated from the charity, traditional charity sector into social enterprise never look back because you realise that social justice can actually only ever be achieved through um, kind of taking economic power, not just winning political rights. And I think that's what makes social enterprise, you know, such a movement as opposed to a sector. Uh, it, it draws people in through a, a variety of different routes. Um, and once they're in that space, they recognise the true potential of, of, of these forms of, of economic intervention. And, and they soon recognise that they're much more powerful. Um, they, they are much more scalable. Um, uh, they're much more fun. Definitely. Definitely. No, I completely agree. I, I, that the, the thing of sort of uh, uh, social justice, I suppose, something of, uh, of economic inclusion, I find really interesting. I find it really compelling. So I suppose in the social enterprises that I've come across and uh, in my previous role, I worked with about 600 different little social enterprises, mostly little ones, um, uh, and now, you know, run one on the front line, so to speak. And part of the stuff that we choose to do, I suppose, is include those who might otherwise be excluded in the job market. You know, people that have been unemployed for a long time. There's something about justice, about giving them some space, creating sort of patient, supportive environment where we go the extra mile to help them, them back into work. We, uh, as a social enterprise, as a charity, which is you know, a social enterprise, by nature, we try and be more fair, perhaps in terms of pay, that the pay sort of disparity yeah. is, is not great from top to bottom. Um, and, we, and we intentionally try and create as many training and development opportunities yeah. as, as possible. So in a sense, we're sort of squeezing our, our opportunity to make a bigger margin or you know, pay those at the top a bit more or something uh, because we're actively trying to spend as much as possible on doing the, the socially good stuff is that stuff that sort of can you you recognize what, what's that sort of well i think you know i used to work at ox family used to work at greenpeace and i've done a lot of kind of economic 
kind of analysis of, of you know, the, the nature of our unsustainable and deeply unequal uh, and inequitable world. And so, um, yeah, I think that, that what we have to try and do is to trade within the, the constraints of the, 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 the natural world and the resource and the wealth that we currently have and make sure that that's shared much more equitably and that we generate wealth in a much more sustainable fashion. Um, the very nature of that means that, that social enterprise has to be a solution to sort of create the world that many of us would want to live in. We have to recognise the mess that we're currently in is only really a, a construct of the last 150 years since Industrial Revolution, where we designed things like the PLC, the company, uh, finance and financial systems. Um, all of that has, has, you know, had a dramatic impact on the world. Um, in many, many respects, it's had a positive impact on the world. If you look at the number of children dying from uh, under the age of five from malaria or all sorts of illnesses, you'll see that we've dramatically uh, improved the outcomes for, for many of the world's poor. But at the same time, in the last 10 years, the, the world's richest 0.5% have increased their wealth uh, by probably, you know, 100%, if not more. And yet, you know, the rest of us are expected to, to live with less. And so these, these kind of international global problems uh, don't just uh, appear when you look at the world um, as, a, as a planet, but they also look when you look at cities, towns, communities, neighbourhoods. You see this dramatic kind of growth in inequity and inequality, and we're struggling to find the solutions. We need a, a massive reboot of the capitalist system. Um, we need to, uh, you know, consider the welfare of the many, not the few. Um, and we need to do that quite quickly and quite dramatically and, and social enterprise continually you know gives insight into the way in which we might do that into the way in which you know trade globalization can can potentially sit alongside um you know dramatic improvements in our um uh kind of uh, sustainability agenda the sdgs the sustainable development goals they give us a, a real good insight into the way in which we need to organize things in the future and so whether you're running a charity and you're trying to do things more equitably and fairly within the the, the, the you know the kind of the context of people with addictions or whether you're taking a view to neighborhood planning or whole kind of economic planning you know th these models of fairness kindness uh, equity uh, are, com are completely appropriate whether you're looking at hyper-local or international. Sure, and it strikes me though that there's also something about I guess making what we what modern society often thinks is intangible is less valuable uh, when, about making that tangible, making that intentional again. So things like community, you know, fun, friendships, a sense of place appears to be really important. So I've come across hundreds of social enterprises and, uh, and, and we, we, you know, we know each other a little bit because we, we crossed paths first when you were at the Sunlight Development Trust. And one of the key things that I left that visit I mean, quite a number of years ago now with was the importance of place the importance of community, but the, the importance of some intangible stuff, of, of creativity and uh, partnership and collaboration. So if I remember rightly, there was a, a, a quartet of sort of octogenarian jazz musicians or something, and yet there was a, a kind of DJ group of teenagers, uh, or at least something along those yeah, lines, yeah, and you guys yeah. got those guys together. Yeah. It would never cross paths in anything other than this sort of intentionally 
people-focused collaborative community and something really amazing happened. So I think it was a gardening group and a beekeeper, you know, beekeeping yeah, yeah, group. There's yeah, yeah. clear, clear synergy there. But, you know, getting those guys together is really important. And it's one of the things I, I try and work on, you know, in this single organisation that I now work for, that I now have the privilege of leading, which is the sense of, of place. So we mobilise something of our bigness, which is a bit of a silly phrase, but we're, we're 80 members of staff, we're about two and a half million pounds income. But the importance is in retaining a sense of smallness as well, that we are based just off Shoreditch High Street. That's our little patch. At most, we operate in a couple of boroughs, really. But there's something really powerful uh, about that because it gives people a sense of sort of being grounded, rooted. There's a community in, in there. But there may well also be something we'll come to later in the conversation about, about, uh, about whether or not or, you know, how successfully social enterprises have grown as well, because I'd also like to see social enterprises do more. But just start with the smallness, maybe. Where, what's the importance you know, for you of well, smallness, I think in this, if you like? In this great big world in which we live, um, it, it can feel... It can be very easy to feel disconnected, isolated, small in a very, very big world. Um, and with all of the, the kind of global social platforms that now exist um you know you're just a tiny you know little speck in a global universe of of, of sometimes quite unpleasant behaviors and so being grounded back in our community and f formulating you know tr traditional relationships where you can see people and you can understand people and you can empathize with people and you can learn from people and, and you're grounded in familiarity of place is increasingly important that's what helps to define us but it also helps to give us a sense of our own identity and our own security um, and in an ever-changing world familiar things whether that's neighbors or buildings or people or places become increasingly important and so i think there's going to be an ever greater emphasis on that sort of stuff i mean Historically, we've counted things that are easy to count and money's easy to count. Um, we've not counted things that are intrinsically uh, incredibly invaluable to us, human relationships. So if I come and do a favour for you, if I come and look after your kids as a babysitter, oh, if you yeah. pay me for that, that work, um, it gets counted within the global yeah. economy. If I come and do that as a favour, as a friend, as a neighbour, as an act of kindness, it gets no. It, there is no record of, of that act of kindness within our economic activity. And so we're driven almost uh, unintentionally to a place where we only value things that involve economic transaction. And that's ludicrous, right? We yeah, all know yeah, that absolutely. that makes nonsense. You speak to anybody on the high street, in the park here, wherever you go, if you said, you know, what are the most valuable things in your life? Yeah. It is unlikely it's going to come down to a financial transaction. It's going to come down to my daughter, my brother, my relationship with, with people, whether that's family or, or whether that's beyond family. And, and so we have to swiftly, those of us that have an opportunity to influence things, to move our leaders, um, our academics, our thinkers, our educators to a place where we are no longer using the language of gross domestic product and only economic value, we have to take a more nuanced approach and, and start valuing the things that are a bit more harder to count, you know, yeah. love, yeah. kindness, relationships, social capital. Call it what you will, but these yeah. things are, are remarkably important to our well-being, our community well-being, our quality of life. Um, and for too long, they've been neglected. They've been taken for granted, I'd say, wouldn't you? You're listening to Thought Starters, recorded at the pod at White City Place. 
In conversation today are Social Enterprise UK CEO Peter Holbrook and Spitalfields Crypt Trust CEO Steve Coles. It's the thing that drove me in my previous work is thinking about how we measure what's broadly referred to as social impact, but that actually takes into account the the stories, the qualitative as well as yeah. the quantitative stuff you can measure, a sense of quality as well, not just quantity. That doing something really great, perhaps on a small scale, has greater value than doing a lot of stuff, but that's a, of a lower quality or lower impact, you know, on a bigger scale. But that takes into account well-being, as you say, that it's, it seems uh, now you know, almost uh, certain, I suppose, from the research, particularly are two things that significantly hamper well-being. It's, it's unemployment and, and having a mental health difficulty. Those two things overlap. But both of those things are addressed, at least to some extent, it strikes me, quite purposefully by social enterprises, creating space, creating supportive environments, jobs, work experience. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's really important for well-being. It's, as you say, it's friendships, it's relationships, actually to a much greater extent than being rich. Well-being and money seems to research almost entirely detached. So social enterprises and an SCT restoration station is creating that community with a whole load of creativity where value is massive but not measurable yes um i, I mean you, you say that you know things like you know work is an important route to, to mental well-being and yet we know that work insecurity actually is a major sure. driver to right. yeah, mental yeah. ill health and that's why we've got a mental health epidemic at the moment everyone's talking about it everyone's frustrated no one knows what to do about it we know interventions are expensive the way we've curated our economy has driven that mental health kind of epidemic, oh, yeah. as people cite it. And m the vast majority of those people that are experiencing mental ill health will be actually in work. Yeah. They'll be yes. in insecure work, low-paid work that brings about it um, a whole range of stresses, concerns, fears, low self-esteem, all that sort of thing. So when we curate our economy, we don't just need to think about employment. We need to think about the kind of employment, the security of that employment. When we need to think about housing, it's not just shelter. It's about the quality of housing, the quality of the neighbourhoods, the quality of the physical environment, the air we breathe, the noise that we experience. Yeah. All of these things, when we consider them, can help curate a, an economy uh, or neighbourhoods or towns or cities that don't throw out all these negative externalities of work insecurity, housing insecurity, mm -hmm. you know, pollution, noise pollution, stress, anxiety, fear, yeah. um, isolation. You know, there are enough people in this world, architects, designers, social entrepreneurs, housing... Pro we know, actually, what the solutions are. Mm -hmm. We don't need some great leap forward in innovation. What we need to do is reprioritize what's important in our world and is economic growth economic growth that has traditionally over the last 20 or 30 years only been captured by a tiny tiny minority of very elite people that already have more than they know what to do with should that continue to be our priority yeah. no one thinks it should and yet all of our economic systems all of our economic processes are still driving that old-fashioned model through everything that we do you look around you know, this park here, you look at the buildings going up, the apartments going up, they are driven by one thing and one primary motivation, profit at any cost. Yeah. And we can't live like that anymore. So, like, you know, yes, the world needs to shake up and, and wake up. It doesn't require that every business becomes a social enterprise, but it does require 
that every decision and every transaction and every economic uh, kind of development considers uh, wider priorities than than profit maximization. Now that's kind of like it's that system is done. Sure. And I, you, know, you can probably sound a little bit of frustration in my voice, right? I worked at Greenpeace 40 years ago, not 40 years ago, <laughs> almost 40 years ago, you know, 35 years ago. And at that time, we knew about CO2, we knew about all the frustrations. I've had to sit f- f- through a frustrating 35 years and see the world do pretty much nothing to tackle that problem. We're now told we've got 12 years to avoid complete and utter climate chaos and still the world sits on its hands we can identify the 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 drivers of mental health inequality inequity crime burgeoning prison populations we know we're smart enough we know what the answers are and yet everyone continues to sit on their hands and basically push the problem down the path Sure. So you said that that not every business needs to become a social enterprise, but you're also talking about a fundamentally changing the the world, right? Well, so no. in that sense, there is a challenge whereby you and I both, you know, in terms of sort of roles uh, that sort of uh, span the world of social enterprise and in leadership roles of social enterprises, that we've collaborated with big businesses. Our organisations yeah. have collaborated with big businesses, and there's presumably something kind of positive about that it's probably better that they do you know something social something charitable than not no, fundamentally no, 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 some no, no, of the big businesses enough, are, are part of the we've problem aren't they for, i mean we've had that for 150 say, yeah the big, big businesses are, are fundamentally Look, part of the problem right is that of course true? but it's not the big businesses it, it's the, the nature of the economic systems and structures sure. that we've created that that ensure that those businesses are best rewarded by by being ruthlessly capitalist so the system has to change. You can't just assume that these businesses are going to find a moral compass because businesses are businesses. They're not people. There is no inbuilt morality to them unless you put it there in the first place. Yeah. So you're not just going to get this wave of enlightenment and businesses are going to shift. We need leadership. We need leadership from our investors, from our politicians to curate the economic systems and structures that mean those businesses are best served by changing and adapting rapidly to the new economy. When I say that not every business is going to become a social enterprise, I mean, ultimately, that's my goal, that's my ambition, that's my hope. But I work extensively overseas in, in, international, uh, in an international context, and particularly in emerging economies. You know, I'm not going to go to a lowly goat herder uh, or a chicken farmer in Malawi and go, this business, it's a private business, off with your head. You know, this is unacceptable. This has to be a social enterprise. I'm content with taking people on a journey where people understand that they are best served by being responsible, sustainable, kind to their staff, kind to their suppliers, kind to their customers. You know, the best way of doing business has to be a sustainable way of doing business. And that's what I'm on the mission to achieve. And whether a business calls itself a social business or not, like, let's not go down the definitions debate. Let's try and curate an economy that works for everyone. Sure. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, my, my sense is that actually when we talk about social enterprises, we're often, again, we're not getting into just titles or definitions, but we're often talking about social and environmental enterprises, if you like. Environmental is part and parcel of, of it. There's lots of social of enterprises, course. including Restoration Station, which is about diverting stuff from landfill that would otherwise go to waste, that can give stuff more life, that tackles a sort of yeah. you know incessant circle of buy more stuff, use yeah. more stuff, throw more stuff away. So there's something that's environmental when we talk about
about social action. We do well, all it's inherent, it? environmental. It's inherent. You can't you can't be social if you're not environmental. In my sure. view, the two things are interrelated. We are we are. Uh, integral to the environment. Um, we affect it, we curate it, we manage it in many respects, we're guardians of it. So if we are going to serve our own needs, um, we have to protect the, 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 the needs of the natural environment. So for me, social is inherently environmental. And there should be no division between social and environmental. They are one and the same thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Peter, there's something I touched, touched on that I'm really interested to get your thoughts on because it's one of the things I, I suppose I felt somewhat uncomfortable in, in observing the, the sort of the wider world of social enterprise and that's I suppose a, a principle of, of sort of, of essentially scaling up that somehow inherently bigger is better you know social enterprises in broad agreement are good things but I'm not convinced that it necessarily followed that follows that the social enterprises that exist should just get bigger and do more things in more places because I wonder whether it undermines something pretty fundamental about them but I'm willing to be okay, persuaded I'll what, what are your thoughts? So first of all I don't think that big necessarily is beautiful I think small can be beautiful, big can be beautiful let's let's like, get over issues of size oh, yeah. <laughs> um, look for the last 20 or 30 years particularly in the western world we've made huge advances in gaining kind of political rights, equality for minority groups, representation during that period, we've also lost huge amounts of economic power. We've, we've ceded economic power, more and more of it, to, to the elite institutions that, that circle above us making decisions that are not democratic, that are not accountable. So I think we have to take more economic power. And I think the way to do that is scaling some of our social enterprises. I don't think every social enterprise should scale, but I think if people like Bellu Water... Um, who donate 100% of their profits to clean water projects all over the world, if they can take more market share from Evian and Volvic, then that has to be a good thing. So, yes, I want to see social enterprises scale. Do I think that all social enterprises should scale? No, no. I want plurality. Um, I want kind of a, a, a subsidiarity in our economy where local services are governed, designed and delivered by local people. But if you take uh, things like, you know, bottled water or the soft drinks industry, you know, it's not going to disappear overnight. And therefore, let's have some big social players in there that are redistributing wealth, driving sustainability and becoming market leaders in what good business and good practice looks like. Um, so I think there's, there's room for both. It's not an either or. I think we should basically want to see a scale up of social enterprises where that's appropriate but a massive scale out so many many more in volume and we should certainly help those uh, that have the opportunity uh, to scale and compete with those big global players do so. Perhaps as a sort of concluding question actually in many ways is to, to think about you know, how listeners to this podcast how we as consumers can just get involved in this stuff as as well i mean i'll give a couple that, that came to mind as you were as you were talking so without spoiling the surprise for my own family you know uh, harry specter's chocolates will be in the you know in the stockings from santa a, a company that makes delicious chocolates and it uh, involves people with autism so that's and that's a product that could scale yeah, in the yeah. way we were just chatting about right we've we've got uh, you know organizations uh uh like uh, Elvis and Cressa, they take you know they take 
uh, old fire hose that otherwise would go to waste. Uh, uh, waving your Elvis and Crescent wallet. In fact, mine's in my pocket, and I may well be wearing the belt. <laughs> <laughs> so Elvis and Crescent takes, takes, you know, fire hose that otherwise yeah. would go into landfill, but it's actually got 40 or 50 years to, yeah. of life. That'll be in uh, yeah. uh, stockings, and it's on the Social Enterprise UK Christmas gift guide, right? So what are your, not that you have favourites as the Chief Executive of Social Enterprise UK, but tell us, what are the Social Enterprises that you so, really so love? A, we need to get away from this notion that actually these are novelty niche products. Yeah. The odd chocolate bar or the odd wallet. Those products and those businesses do exist, and I implore people to think about the social and environmental impacts of all of the transactions they make, and not just at Christmas, right? I mean, we are on a burning platform here, yeah, so right. this requires urgent action, not just a couple of ethical gifts at Christmas. Um, there are huge numbers of cooperatives. There are huge numbers of mutuals, building societies, the Nationwide Building Society, a British you know, institution, the world's largest building society, owned by 15 million members worldwide, you know, not providing dividends to, you know, elite investors, but sharing that wealth and curating its business uh, as a business that is, you know, operating in the interests of everybody, in the interests of society. The cooperative group, you know, the very origins of the social enterprise movement in some respects, operate, have a store in every postcode within the UK. Now, these, you know, you might not think are at the cutting edge of innovation and sustainability, but they are at the cutting edge of redefining economics that work for the many and not the few. And the fact that they're not for dividend, for private wealth businesses, um, means that they can make decisions in a whole different way. And they do. So we need to think about the small ones and we need to make those little distinct purchases. Yeah. But I would say, you know, move your money to Nationwide Building Society, start shopping at the co-op. These are the sorts of decisions that can demonstrate public demand for a different relationship with business. And business is meant to operate in the service of society. And sometimes we flip that and we've got that round the wrong way. Sounds good to me. Why don't we just finish there? I think that sounds great. I'm convinced. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> You're listening to Thought Starters, recorded at the pod at White City Place. In conversation today are Social Enterprise UK CEO Peter Holbrook and Spitalfields Crypt Trust CEO Steve Coles. This has been Thought Starters, recorded at the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DNN co-project for White City Place, produced by David Michon and recorded and edited by Sean Crook. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at whitecityplace, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time. <laughs>